I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. And I might use the Enneagram stuff as like a bonus episode at some point too. Yeah, that would be fun. fun. (laughs) People love the Enneagram, man. Yeah. Just a fun, relaxed conversation, chill. I'm an Enneagram three, so I like efficiency. And uh, I I need that book, the Enneagram three type. Yes. Oh, yes. are you a yes. three? I am a three. <gasps> then you understand me. Very much so. Yes, this is <laughs> such a good book. Rachel Cord? Uh, Beth McCord. She's an Enneagram coach and she's phenomenal. Ooh. And Instagram her. She's great. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's like faith in the Enneagram and core motivations and all sorts of things. Nice. And, and it's a workbook so you like for my number four threes. Yeah. Oh, um, I need to look into that. Yeah, I'm using it kind of like a devo, like to get to know myself a little bit more and write some about myself and figure out like how I work and how I process and all of that. What have been some discoveries? What's been really great is she goes through this acronym called AWARE. And so it's awaken. So notice how you're reacting in your behavior, feelings, thoughts, and body sensations. Welcome. So being open to what you might learn and observe without condemnation and shame. Ask. So like ask God to help clarify what is happening internally. Receive. So receiving any insight and affirm your true identity as God's beloved child. And enjoy. Enjoy your new freedom from the old self-defeating patterns of living. And so um, for me... I mean, I've known this for a while, but it's reiterating that I think for those who are three, which I think this can fall into some other numbers too, but definitely threes, it is hard for us to be human. Our humanness is a really big struggle. And so that is something that I'm constantly running into is like, I don't like that I'm human. Mm -hmm. I hate being human. Like, this is not my favorite. Like, I want to be able to be something, like, different than that. Something that's Super not power. as... Uh-huh. Superhuman. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. So, like, being able to sit in my humanness is a really hard thing. And I am not a fan of it, but I also know that I'm supposed to sit in it because that's who I... Like, that's what I am. I am a human. And that's a really hard journey. That's a really hard thing because then all my fears show up and I'm like, well, what if I'm not enough or what if I'm not um, able to, to do the things that I feel called to do or what if I'm letting other people down or, um, you know, one, one of the things that I said is I, I said fear of failing by saying yes to my humanness. Fear of failing fear of being worthless mm-hmm. I listened to a podcast about threes the other day they they were talking about how threes show up in conflict and the 
the analogy that they used for threes in conflict cracked me up. They said, threes go in conflict, go into a little igloo with a little hole for their sniper rifle. And they both retreat and fight at the same time. I'm like, I totally do that. Uh I thought, because I I was trying to, because they were like, you're either a flight person or you're a fight person. And there's like these two different categories. And I'm like, but I do both, depending on the situation. And sometimes Mm -hmm. in the situation, my fighting is my way of retreating. And sometimes in my situation, my retreating is my way of fighting. And so it's not just like one or the other for me. And so when they described it like that, I was like, yeah, that's totally what I do. Yeah. And I think that you make a really good point because I think that so often our defensive orientations like fight, flight, freeze, the way that they are categorized is that you do one. And it's like, actually, the more that humans, the more I I get to understand humans and, and learn about humans, it's like, actually, I think we do all of them. We do all of them. It's not like, oh, this is one that I do and I don't do the others. It is a situational depends on yeah. being able to, to notice that and, and that they do couple sometimes mm-hmm. and, and work together because they're just trying to protect the mm-hmm. human. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can cause personality things like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs can cause con- un have an unintended consequence of causing cognitive dissonance when Mm -hmm. you think you're supposed to behave a certain way, but then you're like naturally acting a different way. But wait, this is not my ENTP. This Uh is not what ENTPs do. This is not Uh what the Enneagram 3 is supposed to do. Right. Uh, And I had to realize the Enneagram was not a personality really diagnosis as much as like your core internal motivation, which is shaped by more than just who you are naturally. It's shaped by trauma. It's shaped by childhood experiences. It's shaped by your successes. It's shaped by your Mm -hmm. failures. And you're not just in a box with that number. That was really helpful in my understanding of it. And it's it's helped me too, just in like, I just like the fear of failure and the fear of uh, the fear of failure, yet I always do these huge extreme things that have huge potential for failure because I'm very driven and I'm very goal-oriented and I want to achieve things. And so both of those things are happening at the exact same time. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. We'll just make this an episode about the Enneagram. <laughs> and I have most of my clients take the Enneagram. At the very beginning, um, I find that it's a helpful tool, not a, you know, I I call it a tool in session, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like, here's your personality, but it's like, it's just a helpful tool to find language for some of the things that are showing up in your life. Had some clients who like, just don't know what they believe or just not sure what they believe. And I was like, let's just take this and see what shows up. Yeah. Right, let's just see what shows up. And they have found it really helpful just finding language for their beliefs. Yeah. Because those have been so buried and they're just such a instinctual belief. It's like, I don't have words for this. I don't really understand what's going on. But having a tool like the Enneagram to 
go into and be like, oh, here's some good language for me to sit with and digest and be able to, to understand a little bit, knowing that it does ebb and flow, that it's not a concrete thing. But now I have some words and some abilities to put some, yeah, thoughts and words to when it comes to, to myself and what I believe and why I work certain ways. Do you feel that you use the knowledge of their number when you're interacting with them or is it more for them personally? It's more for them personally. Um, You know, sometimes it might show up um, and that's usually because the client brings it up. Um, But I really do use the Enneagram to give them some self-awareness to help them cultivate some of that outside of, outside of the session, outside of, um, so then it's like, Oh, like this is what it's like to learn about myself outside of therapy. Ah, be able to, to cultivate some of those like, Oh, this is what it's like to spend time by myself and to care for myself and to notice what I need. Practicing their own self-awareness outside of Mm -hmm. the one hour session which is so helpful. What are other ways that that helps you in a therapy session? Yeah. So um, when we are working with a belief system to name like, okay, so let's, let's just notice what's showing up right now. Let's still, let's notice our bodies. Let's notice our minds. Let's notice our emotions and see what's showing up. And because now that they have language, for their belief system, they can now start to identify when the belief system is showing up. Can you give an example? So, you know, we'll use the threes, right? Threes um, really struggle with worthlessness and being devalued. Like that's their, that's their core belief. Right. And so, you know, I could have a client who yes, has these worthless feelings, has these devalued feelings, but um, you know, for them, they've said that, Oh, they have depression and it's like, okay, so they, they probably do have, have depression. There's probably some parts to that for sure, but there's also this belief system that is showing up that is from either childhood experiences or trauma or, you know, fill in the blank that, that there's another coupled um, aspect to this. And so when we are working with this feeling of like, I just feel down and unmotivated and hopeless to be like, okay, so as you feel those things, what do you believe about yourself? Mm. Right. As you feel those things and we sit with that and now that they have language for it, they can connect it. Mm. They can connect it. I don't have to connect it for them. And that is more powerful. If I connect it for them, that's cool. But if they can connect it themselves, that's healing. And so I use it like that, kind of like a connector as well to be like, okay, as I'm feeling these emotions, what am I believing about myself? When I have an aha moment in my therapy that I have come to, and maybe my therapist plays a role in like guiding me there. Mm -hmm. But when I do, oh, what? Yes. That stays with me yes, much longer yes. and makes a much bigger shift mm-hmm. in my psyche and how I move forward. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be fun. I feel like that would be fun to, to meet with your therapist and like, she knows your number and you know your number uh, that you could like interact over. I, uh-huh. I will do that with my therapist where I'm like, so I'm an Enneagram three and the Enneagram three is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> explain, explain to her who I am. Yes. Yes. We're yes. using an Enneagram that she doesn't know about. It works great. So what I do like about it a little bit better than the Myers-Briggs is that Though I'm a three, I moved to six in growth. Mm-hmm. And so being able to see that. Can happen, you move to any number in growth? The way it's set up, the Enneagram Institute would say no, but I would say yes, because we're human. Mm-hmm. So six and nine, right? That's where. Yeah, nine is unhealth. Nine is unhealth. Nine is unhealth. Yep. Mm. But we become peacemakers when we're unhealthy. Let me look. Up. What is a six? I don't know anything about six. A uh, six is the loyalist. Okay. They're awesome. The committed, secure, security-oriented type, engaging, responsible, anxious, and okay. I could see that. Um, so, if you look at the Enneagram Institute, mm-hmm. um, and what's great is that they have this thing called um, levels of development. Mm. And so for like a, a nine, like at their best is level one. And then it goes all the way down to like unhealthy levels. So like a level seven for a nine is can be highly repressed, undeveloped and, and feel incapable of facing problems, become obstinate, dissociating self from all conflicts, neglectful and dangerous to others. So it can go like, you know, average levels of a nine Fear conflicts, so becoming self-effacing and accommodating, idealizing others and going along with their wishes, saying yes to things they don't really want to do. So I just like the Enneagram Institute because I think it gives you like, okay, so as the achiever, here are the nine different levels that, that you could fall into. So I would say that I fall here right now level four highly concerned with their performance doing their job well constantly driving self to achieve goals as if self-worth depends on it terrified of failure compare self with others in search for status and success become careerists social climbers invested in exclusivity and being the best Mm. which is where i've been the past couple of weeks Wait, you're just there for the past couple of weeks or you're just experiencing that like the last like, couple of weeks? Like doing that book, I have noticed yeah. that that's where I've been uh, the past few weeks. Got it. Because um, then it can go all the way down to like the unhealthiest level, which is becomes vindictive, attempting to ruin others' happiness, relentless, obsessive about, about destroying whatever reminds them of their own shortcomings and failures. Psychopathic behavior generally corresponds to the narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder. So I, I have thought that about myself too, because there are a lot of um, similarities with like threes and narcissists and yes. just their drivenness, yep. their, their impression management. Mm-hmm. And it's like scared me. I'm like, am I a narcissist? <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Because a narcissist wouldn't be this self-aware. <laughs> 
that's what people tell me when I ask the question. They're like, yeah. a narcissist wouldn't ask that question. Yeah, a narcissist <laughs> would not say that they are one. Unless I know that's what you want to hear. And so I've asked you that question because I know I'm going to trick you into thinking that I'm self-aware. No. <sighs> Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. Yes. I appreciate it. Yes. I mean, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these at their unhealthiest level is some sort of personality disorder. True. So that's very true. Yeah. You have to take that into account. Yeah, for sure. disintegration of the brain, which can cause many side effects, one of which is a difficulty in regulating emotions. Gratefully, there are many things someone can do to reintegrate their brain, literally reshape, rewire, and change the brain. One of those things is the practice of mindfulness. I'll send you access to a 10-minute mindfulness meditation when you subscribe to the mailing list of tearsofeden.org. This podcast supports tearsofeden.org, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. If you know someone who might benefit from the material of the podcast or the website, feel free to share it with them. Finally, I want to invite you to take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. I'll see you next time.